1: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.
0: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together this is chris and this is anthony and this is episode 308 the top 10 the dice games we like to thank all of our patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode all right anthony we are back and we are back in dice form so it's basically board gamers anonymous the dice game, and we are talking about the top ten games that have been diceified. If that is a word,
0: I don't know. Rolling, let's yeah. see if it's a word. All yeah, right, cool. It's all good, man. It's good. We're talking board games. We make up new mechanics. We make up new rules. <laughs> so we'll make up new game words while we're at it. It's fine, you know. It's 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 like playing any kind of dice game that's out
1: there. It's random. There's a lot of chance going on, and if you get lucky, even the craziest thing can crit. And that's really what we're hoping to do with this episode. So for our feature review, we'll be talking about your favorite games, but the DICE versions of it. So I think that you're really going to enjoy that. It's been a list that we've been talking about doing for quite some time, and we have it to you on this episode. But Anthony, before we get into our feature review, there's so much going on with BGA. Why don't you fill up the folks
0: at home what we're up to these days? Yeah, yeah, we got a BGA Live you guys got a preview I've there? I've heard of this uh, show. It's really I hope good. hope so. You're on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I
1: watch it every week.
0: <laughs> watch it live with my eyes. You, do. I watch watching it live. Watching my own eyes. It's weird.
1: <laughs> and we should also mention before you get into that, Anthony, that if you are watching live on Board Game Arena, there's an embedded feed on there. You can jump on to Twitch. Board Game Arena has its very own Twitch channel, where you can jump on
0: by and chat with me and Anthony as we do the podcast. So, roll for initiative. BGA Live, as as you said, Chris, uh, is every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, exact same time as right now on Board Game Arena, or Twitch's Board Game Arena channel. Uh, This week we're playing Nippon, which is uh, one of my favorites, actually. It's it's so cool that it's on here, because it is not an easy-to-find game anymore, Uh, but... Those what's your game games are they're awesome. So they are. while we all wait for Madeira to come in, we will play a game of Nippon <laughs> and we'll talk about it this week.
1: <laughs> all right, we'll we'll do that. But <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there for you, man. <laughs> you, you you had it. You hit me right here, buddy. You hit me right here. It's only it's only been what sixty five thousand years. I don't know. I I've lost all track of time and space. But yeah, Nippon is a wonderful game. All about building up the industry. Uh, and it has a lot of uh, you know, love t- for that game, a lot of little miniature expansions and just a game that you probably have not played because what's your game is not the biggest company world, but this is one of the best games that you've never played. I guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. we will have a huge feature review next week. Russ, our Game Master, will be putting together the team. And again, we would love for you to join us next week. As Anthony said, We are here on Twitch on Board Game Arena, same time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So join us there because it's game time. It's all good.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with BGA Live. What else do you have for our listeners this
0: week? All right. Yeah. So next up, we got the question of the week. I've heard of this question of the week. You're just like, I know all these things. I'm a
1: big fan of Board Gamers Anonymous. I got the shirt. I go to the podcast, I got the downloads, I got the subscribes, I got the likes, you know, watch BGA Live. I'm there, man. Every week, I've not missed an episode. Number one fan.
0: You are you are a biggest fan. I cannot. I am. That. <laughs> I think the show's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a good term. Um, yeah. <laughs> you all know I love it. I'm here every week, too. Yeah. All right. Question of the week we got this week are you participating in any board game challenges this year and if so what's on tap i actually left this one open for no this time i know sometimes no only answer it if you have an answer but this time i know a lot of people don't like to do this but i wanted to know why you don't like to do this so let's take a look okay so pulling these directly off facebook uh, making it Easier for everybody to read. I've clipped them here for you, Tim, good friend of the show. He says no. <laughs> I've decided that these challenges simply make me feel more pressured to play certain games on a game night, whether or not I'm feeling the desire to play them. I'd rather go with the flow of what we're in the mood to play that. Okay. Day. yep, okay. I hear that and <laughs> there felt that. Well said. Uh, Especially when you have like a new game, you're like I want to play this and people are like, well, we got to catch up with our 10 by 10. We got to play this eight year old game that we've played eight times already. <laughs> <laughs> Come on game
1: group. One more
0: time. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's still fun. I loved it. It was a lot of fun, but at the same time, you're like, can we just try this other one? Maybe just we'll skip that. We'll do this.
1: Just this one time a little bit. You know. Just this one time.
0: Um, Tom says, I always have a goal of playing all my owned games at least once during the year. Oh, my God, Tom. (laughs) I cannot do that. Um, As the collection grows, this becomes more difficult. Same. Uh, I'm currently at only 100 games with several Kickstarters and pre-orders coming in this winter and spring. I love this idea. It's admirable. I think you should do it as long as it's a manageable collection size. I personally cannot do that <laughs> the mere thought of it gives me anxiety if you've been listening at all to uh, our patreon feed if you're a patreon backer you can hear our game collections that we run through every week i just put up volume 11 and i'm up to the letter i so that's a lot i do 20 every time so we're talking hundreds of games it's not happening every all in one year it'd be like one or two a day i think awesome yeah no not doing that Scott says, (laughs) BG Stats has an awesome template set up to make some. Um, He's doing a 10 by 10, a 20 by 5, uh, 10 games from 2016, and five from 2011. Uh, He also likes to play some number of fells some number of times. Haven't figured that out yet. Um, BG Stats is awesome. If you don't have that app, I I use it. I've been using it for about five years, I think. Uh, So it, it keeps track of all your plays, it keeps track of everybody you played with. Uh keeps track of scores, high scores, low scores, locations. Uh, you can see how many times you beat your spouse at, you know, Ticket to Ride, if you want to, over the last however many years. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't talk about it. But don't you can do that. It. <laughs> uh, but it's a cool app. I, I run all my challenges in there, too. And I've set other ones up before, like, here's a bunch of games on my shelf of shame that I want to finish this year. I'll put them in a challenge list and fail at it, but at least try to knock them off. Oh boy. I, ha- I
1: have my friend Alex from our game group. And I remember, I guess, wow, going back maybe six, seven years, he has like a little notebook or multiple endless notebooks and he keeps oh, wow. track of everything. And I was like, well, that's kind of ridiculous. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I wish I owned all those notebooks because <laughs> I wish I remembered games I played and scores I had because it, you know, goes in one ear and goes completely out the other. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, this would be great if I could just literally, this is what I do. This is how I track my games. I don't know if, I don't want to go off topic here as far as the question is concerned, Anthony. I take a photo of the final board and then it's dated. Our phones are tracking every moment. It knows exactly where I am at, you know, so <laughs> tags as well. Yep. So yeah. So that's what I usually do. And usually since I play green, I can probably remember, you know, oh, I probably played green on that. So yeah. Because I don't, I just, I would love to be able to track everything. I just don't. (laughs) That's it. I just don't. Just don't do it. I just (laughs) don't. (laughs) Why don't you track your games? I just don't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty religious about it. At first it was a little hard, but I just, I like data. I like crunching numbers and finding patterns. And so for me, it's fun. I can look back and be like, well, how many new games did I play last year? How many total games did I play last year? How many times have I played this game that I spent this much money on? Okay, now I'm depressed, you know? <laughs> it's cool, though. And if you are going to run a challenge, it does help to have something to keep you accountable. Now, I would love one of those calendars you put on the wall with little meeples. I think that would be a lot more fun. But sure. the app is, is, is the next uh, best step. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. And then one last here one from Chris. He He says, we are doing a play all the things challenge this year. His group and him will play every game in their collection, 230 titles once. So just outdoing Tom, just making sure to get all the games in. 230 is a lot, but I I do check my app and I I usually play around 300-ish total games in a year because, you know, game days will pad that number when you play like, eight games in 12 hours or something that is what everybody says on board game challenges not as many people this year as last year when we asked this question are actually doing it this year i think a little bit of burnout maybe last year i know i am i'm like i'm not doing one this year because it's it was impossible to do last year and this year it's like we're starting from zero how are you going to get it done
1: (laughs) yeah myself along with uh, my, my mates over in the chat are saying the same thing that our challenge this year that we've chosen to take upon ourselves is to just get out of our houses and play something. So I think that's going to be the given for this, this year. I think once, you know, once it feels like there's been like, the first day I go out, I'm going to carry like, like half a Klex with me and just be like, I'm not leaving until we play everything. And then eventually I'll be fine with maybe doing some, safe kind of gaming where it's like yeah the same game five times we have times yeah we're fine yeah <laughs> but right now it's like the variety i need the variety give me the variety so
0: you know you know what's going to happen to that first game day someone's going to bring like power grid or something and they're just going to be run out of the room with pitch so
1: get that out of here no <laughs> who brought that guy who brought he comes he hasn't got back here anymore <laughs> It must have been released in 2020 or 2021, period. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my game group's still going. And every once in a while, they're like, hey, let's get together for games. And I get like a little tear comes down. And I'm like, no, oh, I want to get together for games. But nonetheless, we soldier on as we do. So thank you everyone for hitting us up with your answers to question of the week. The question of the weeks are still up and active there. So if you did not get a chance to drop your own challenge for 2021 other than 2021 being not being 2020 hit us up on all, all of our social media facebook twitter boardgamersanonymous.com our guild on board game geek we have a youtube channel please please mm-hmm. subscribe on there so you can keep track with us and obviously most of all we are on live on twitch so you can hit us up right now with your answer and i'll shout it out to everyone else in the world so Thanks for joining us, and thanks for getting that information out there. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for our question of the week. Let's finally get back into the old ways of doing things again, my friend. It's been a while. We are finally back. We are talking about
0: our acquisition
1: disorders.
0: Yeah. No, it's a normal episode. (laughs) How'd that happen? (laughs) I don't know. We go through this every year, too. We're like, once we get through November, December, January, we're like, how does this work again what are we doing i don't know we do a thing right we do a normal
1: episode yeah yeah
0: yeah and i have a challenge with the acquisition disorders like at this time of the year too because we just did our preview for the whole year so yeah everything that we know is coming out we already talked about but there's there's a few things and obviously kickstarters go up so for me uh i'm gonna kick things off with something nice and simple um that i'm 100% gonna buy so this isn't even like a preview. It's just like, I'm going to buy this. I'll talk about it later. <laughs> but that is the Neusefjord Salmon Deck. Uh, Neusefjord is one of Uwe Rosenberg's lighter worker placement games. Uh, it's not like a super duper light game, like if you're a light gamer, but it's light if you like, you know, Agricola, Caverna, Feast Road, and It's it's a simple enough game. There's only a couple of resources. So far, there's now been two of these decks. The first one, the Place Deck, uh, came out a couple years ago and it added a whole new deck of cards. Uh, that you can use for the different locations. It added some new elders and it added little tiny baby metal coins. They're like, you're getting metal coins. You're like, yay. And they're like this the size of your pinky nail. They're so tiny. Aww. Um, yeah, they're nice, but they're tiny. And this is just more of that. So it's kind of that thing that Uwe Rosenberg does in his games. He's like, here's a deck of cards. Have fun. <laughs> I'm not I'm not giving you an expansion. Here's a deck of
1: cards. Do you think if you met him on the street and you'd be like, can I have your autograph? He's like, no, but here's a deck of cards. Just like, <laughs> all right. Cool.
0: <laughs> and then I'd be like, can you sign the deck of cards? So the salmon deck, which has been out in Germany for a little bit. It's coming out here like now-ish. 44 new building cards. And mm-hmm. so the game has three different decks of building cards, but they also come in different types. Like even at the base game, I think there's three different decks and they each correspond to a different type of fish because it's a game about fishing. This is a whole new set of those, basically. And they will swap out for one of the other sets, and it's just different combinations of things. It's all balanced to play with just these, right? Um, there's also, I think, one, maybe, new elder you can only use in the four-player game, so meh. And then 25 metal coins, on top of the 25 metal coins I had from the last one, so now I have, I'm have, i going to have 50 metal coins. Uh, so I know this sounds, a lot of people listening, they're like, how exciting is this? It it's it's is very ridiculous. exciting for me. It's a new way okay. to play the game. I'm I'm excited. Yeah, it's so. fine. It's the fjord Salmon deck. Uh, and that is, it will be in my collection shortly. I will tell you if it's any good. I'm sure it's fine. I will tell you if it's any good.
1: You know, I, I mean, I like this. I, I like the idea of this because Uwe Rosenberg does this for his Agricola games where he just constantly putting packs of new cards out all the time. And they're about 20 bucks. And they add a lot to the game, although Agricola has so many cards at this point that it's just like, I really need you to stop because I will never, ever get to play all these combinations. But it, it's nice to kind of like keep the game fresh. It's kind of like a living card game. So just like, here's some more content. Like, oh, it's right, yeah, cool. It's cool. Although, I really wish he would do this for other games like Glass Road uh, or Labora. Games where, like, they're so static that there's always kind of like an end goal or the best tile or the best card or the best location. Those games absolutely need these card decks. Newsford is kind of light. Like you said, it's it's just kind of, it's a thing. It's just, it's one of his lighter kind of yeah. games that he's done previously. So, I mean, it's good that will it'll add a different dimension to it but I really would like to see him open up some of his other games that really are locked down because even Caverna has gotten extra tiles in an expansion, but even something like, uh, I'm trying to think, what is the best game that we've ever played for and Rosenberg? That's a, a solo game. Answer that question for me.
0: Ooh, and the answer is uh, at the, at the gates of Loyang. Oh yes. Yes. Well, yes. you didn't want me to answer it. Cause you would disagree with me, but uh, yeah, the <laughs> gates of Loyang is very good. <laughs> As
1: far as a solo game is concerned. So, yeah, I think that's another game that definitely would benefit from additional cards in that game. So, no, this is good. I like to see new content, and Lookout Games does a great job. So, yeah. All right. So, I want to talk about an uh, upcoming game that is not even here in the U.S. that you can pre-order it. You can even pick it up in some rare locations, some dark back alleys that's uh, available. Um, this is Nidivere. This is the mystical, mythical lands of the dwarves that actually came up with Mjölnir, uh, Thor's hammer. And this game is really interesting because it's very much all about recruiting uh, dwarves from these different taverns in order to get them together to build up a force so that they could fight the dragon that is terrorizing their lands. Now... That's the overall premise, but that's not really the game. So the game primarily is you have money from your, you know, the kingdom and the lands and you are a blind bidding against other factions in order to recruit dwarves to your cause. Now, what I really like about this game and really what really just stood out just right off the bat was the fact that blind bidding is an odd and hard and really cutting way to play a game because If you lose early on, it's very, very hard, if not impossible, to dig yourself out of it because now you're in a situation where your numbers didn't work for you and now somebody else is steamrolling. Well, in this game, it's really interesting is that there are three different taverns in which you are bidding for the dwarves' help and you're paying out gold for that. So you have these big chunky coins that you're gonna place hidden and you're gonna flip over at the same time as everybody else. So you start with some really basic numbers, but there is an opportunity to upgrade your coins. So the coins that you do not play, for example, if you play the zero coin into your like bidding faction, then you have two additional coins to combine, get rid of the highest one, and then pull a combined number coin to use in the rest of the game. So throughout the game, you're bidding and you're bidding and you're winning dwarves, and I'll talk about that in a second, how that plays in. But as the game goes on, you're also upgrading your money. You're trading your money for new money. So it starts with very low numbers, but by the end of the game, you have 23s and 24s and 25s, whereas at the beginning, you started with like 2, 4, 6. So even if you lose, you're winning because you're building up your money for later rounds. There are some tiebreakers in the game that evenly work its way out. And I, I like that mechanic. It's not punishing when it comes to blind bidding. Now, the other part of the game, as I mentioned, is recruiting these dwarves To battle on your side. So now on this part, it comes down to set collection. So what's interesting about this game is has this really, I I would say, oddly beautiful black and white Mm -hmm. artwork of the dwarves, and the graphic design is such that you can easily see everything that's in play as far as the the functioning points and the different icons, because all of that's in color. So you get these really cool, you know, illustrations. You get this really nice, colorful kind of iconography, and then you're set collecting. And as you set collect, the different set collections that you put together are giving you special abilities. So it's not just, oh, cool, that was points and that was money. It's like, no, as you're building these things up, you're getting bonuses like above and beyond. As you're winning a certain faction, you're getting extra abilities throughout how you put certain factions together. So... There is more than just a blind bidding game, more than a set collection game, more than just really interesting artwork and fun. There is some really strategic snowballing and tableau building in the game, and I really like that. So this is something you should check it out whenever it comes out and becomes available. You know, I think it's going
0: to be a big game. That's Nidvillier. So check that one out. <laughs> you gave yourself a tough one this week. I don't even know. I don't I think did. I did get it either. Yeah. No, (laughs) this looks really good, but like reading through it, I'm like, this is a game that I wouldn't be able to play until everybody's got their shots because it's not something I'm going to play by myself. Sure. But I really want to try it, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of good games that's come out. Sometimes they, they pop up in Europe and they just disappear. This one has the challenge of trying to get over here before it does that. I think this is something you're going to want to pre-order in advance. Yeah. All right, Anthony. So that is our acquisition disorders for 2001. Games that we want to get to the table and hopefully games that we get played pretty soon. All right, Anthony. So let's talk about the games that did hit the table. And we will everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up? If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them? If those games are dodge and they should avoid them, or if those games are the dreaded burn, and just like 2020, we should forget them all together. All right, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week?
0: All right. So speaking of spouses, uh, I made my spouse play this um, <laughs> beyond the fun. Um because Thanks, Margaret, for what, yeah, for whatever reason in my head, this was a soloable game. It's not. There's a solo version coming, but. It is two to four players. So thankfully I did get a chance to play it though, because it is fantastic. And this is the reason it popped up on our game of the year list when we had not previously talked about it is that it was just like one play. And I was like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) Beyond the Sun. This is great. This is a game about technologies. Uh, It's the board itself is one giant technology tree. And each player individually is trying to move up the technology tree and then use the abilities they gain from those technologies to colonize different planets that pop up um, on the separate planet board. Uh, on your turn, you have one little worker. You're going to move them around. And there are, at the beginning of the game, there's only four actions you can take. It's got kind of like a limited number of spaces you can go. But honestly, you can almost always take the action you want to take, unless it's the one you just took. And sometimes you can't do it again. But typically, you can do whatever you want. It's There are chances when you can't. But what these things do is you're going to be able to um, convert your colonists. You have, like, little colonist dice. Um, and the dice you never really roll, except in rare circumstances. But they have, like, uh, uh, people on one side, they have ships on another, and then there's, like, a lot token on another. But you can take the people, you can convert them, and use them to research a technology. So they go out on the board, and they're there permanently, and now you can use that technology and do stuff. Or you can convert them into a ship and put them over on the planet board and go out and build up your military strength on various planets and then colonize those planets. The core of the game, though, is the technology tree. This is the coolest part. This is the part I love. At the beginning of the game, there are four technologies open. You can research these relatively inexpensively. They just cost a couple of resources. You throw a guy down there and that's it. And they don't do a ton. Typically, these early ones, once you take them, you get some immediate benefit. And then in the future, you can take another action there. Um, The immediate benefit is why you'd want it right away. But the future action, you've now unlocked a future action spot that your opponents don't necessarily have yet until they also research that technology. So if I research technology number one, Only I can go there until someone else researches technology number one. Simple enough, right? The tree branches off, and then there's like a level two technologies. These require you to have researched the prerequisites already. So some of them require one, some of them require two, whatever they might be. When you research one of these or the level threes, which is the next tier after that, there's an event card. You flip over the event card and something cool happens or something bad, but usually something cool. And typically... You'll get some kind of bonus as the person who flipped the card. It might affect other people at the table. Sometimes you keep the card and it's points at the end of the game. It depends what the card is. Um, these are randomly seated out there, but they are based on the level of technology. So the events are different for level two or level three. Um, there are three slots at the very end of the board for level fours. Those are really, really good technologies, but they're hard to get to because you have to unlock so many things before it. You have a personal player board that has these different Columns of dice—they're not really dice, but you—you know what I mean. You're going to basically generate these through your income every round, so you take them off of there and you put them on your play area. Uh, But they have to come off in certain order. So I'm not going to go into like the nitty-gritty details of that, but basically you have to upgrade certain other things to unlock the ability to get the people onto your board to use them. It sounds more complicated than it actually is, but. You have to balance, you know, whether you're making food upgrades or resource upgrades as you go. Uh, On your turn, you will be able to produce every single time you take an action. So that's really good. You're always getting more resources. So you're never like really out of stuff, maybe except in the middle of the game. And the game itself ends when a certain number of achievements are completed. And these achievements are, you look at them and they seem simple, but they do take a little bit of time. So there'll be things like colonize four different planets or get to a level four technology. And it's going to take a certain number of rounds. The book tells you it's an average of 15 rounds per game, but it does have that thing kind of like Scythe where the game can end relatively quickly. You you may not see it. I mean, you'll see it coming, but it may just happen very quickly because people might in succession throw down the achievements and then all of a sudden they're done and you're like, oh, one more turn, (laughs) right? Because it is cumulative. It's not like one person gets four achievements. It's four achievements total across the cards, right? And it varies by player order or player number, but uh, it it does sneak up on you a little bit. And that's basically the game. I mean, you are managing your resources, trying to balance them out. You are, you know, completing all these different technologies, getting as many of them as you can, but also building a tree that makes sense based on what you've done. So if you're going like, Heavy exploration, you want to go heavy exploration, right? And then you are moving your little ships around on the, uh, the planet board and trying to colonize those different planets. It's a lot of fun. It, it seems like you look at it at first glance, it looks like one of these big, complicated space simulators. It's not. It's a relatively simple game. And the only downside I can say is that it's also a relatively expensive game. <laughs> it does cost, I think, $75, which... Is, you know five dollars more than your average euro these days but what you get out of the box it's probably because of all those dice that, that they're charging you that much graphic design too it is very very just typical Rio Grande space game it just looks like generic space game which is unfortunate to the point where like the player boards are just white they're very stark <laughs> and the, the, the actual main board is just a single planet with a bunch of trees. I don't know. It's it's not the prettiest thing in the world. I wish I wish they'd done a little bit more with the uh, design because the cover looks really cool. And I thought that's what I was going to get inside the box. And it's not really. But gameplay wise, it's fantastic. This is, I, I'm going to say it's still a buy. Obviously, we put it on our nominations for best game of the year. So I really like it a lot. Um, but those are caveats. Cost, graphic design, not amazing. Um, typical Rio Grande productions. Everything's fine. Dice are nice. but. Yeah, this is really fantastic. If you like the tech tree part of a 4X game, game is for you.
1: <laughs> See, I do like the tech tree of a 4X game. It's really my favorite part. I know when we talked about Tapestry, it had all kinds of problems, but I did really enjoy the tech tree. So when I saw this come out, I was like, ooh, and then the cover is fantastic. I, In fact, I think this could, you know, jump somewhere in our top 10 board game covers, of all time it just it just it's it's gorgeous and then the game itself is as stark as can be it's like they ran out of all the monies and all the colors now that being said we're euro gamers so it's not like we have <laughs> we've never played a spreadsheet <laughs> we've played plenty of spreadsheets so i i guess for me the reason why as you said it is expensive so i i didn't pull the trigger on that and it was stark as can be and in and again it wasn't stark in the way that smartphone was stark it was the way that was just like it seemed undercooked or or not yeah. quite done for some reason and it's a shame because they could have even taken this board this box cover and just thrown it on the board but i i guess there there is some graphic design kind of sensibilities where they want the cards to really pop or show off because there's not a lot of information On the cards itself but i'm really happy to hear that it's that good of a game because that's what i was waiting to hear a solid review that this game is good enough to pay the extra money and deal with the utter you know starkness of of the inside game
0: (laughs) yeah it it surprised me like i heard good things i got it in i set it up and i was like i don't know and i read the rules and i'm like this doesn't seem like a lot it's like seven pages of rules Mm-hmm. mechanically it seems fairly simple like you move a thing you take the action you move up it's it's very simple but the complexity comes in build basically building your 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 build out you know your, your kit whatever you want to call it like the specific technologies that you go for and they're randomized because the deck is bigger than how many you put on the board so it's not you're getting the same text every time and the cards are random for the planets as well so it is unfortunate that it's not as pretty to look at, but that doesn't bother me as much. Um, I'm not the graphic design guy. Uh, it's just something. <laughs> and if I notice it, I know that other people are definitely going to notice it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think it's the kind of game that if we'd had a convention season, sure. this game would have been huge because it's the, it's the kind of thing people, you could sit and play this three or four times in a row. Cause it's not that long. It's like 90 minutes. You could just knock them out and you're getting a different flavor each time. The scores are really low, you know, in the 20s. So you're not like these big snowballing scores. It's very tight how the game is sure. working out. So I don't know. I think this will be a hit if it gets a chance to get to people's tables. It's a rough time for it to have come out at the end of 2020, but we'll see how it does this year. Well, maybe, I,
1: again, I, I hope so. Like you said, it, it's a different time. It's a different year. These games are going to go into the void, no pun intended. And. This might be one of the casualties of all that just because it's it's just a little too expensive just to randomly pick up and to get to your quarantine zone. but I hope so. I hope to get it to the table someday. All right, so let's talk about the complete opposite of Anthony's game. We are talking big brash destruction, colorful big box game. You know it. I love it. It is the Kaiju himself, Godzilla. Tokyo Clash. So just when you think that you did not get enough King of Tokyo, our friends at Prospero Hall, who's been producing some really fantastic games for Funko, decided to put together a Godzilla Tokyo Clash game. Now, this was a game that for me, I was really looking forward to because I am a huge Godzilla fan. Like growing up as a kid, it was Saturday morning cartoons followed by Godzilla movie followed by kung fu badly dubbed kung fu movie so that was my saturday morning saturday afternoon and godzilla is my favorite genre the big monster movie kind of thing and just really a lot a ton of fun so what do you do in Godzilla Tokyo Clash what what are you doing well clearly you're playing Godzilla and all of the other massive kaiju in the game finding things out so There's Godzilla, awesome. There is Mothra, awesome. She's there too. There's King Ghidorah, excellent. Multiple heads. You've probably seen the three-headed out there just destroying the most recent Godzilla movie. Really, really cool. Not a great movie, but the monster battles are excellent. So I recommend it for the monster battles. And Megalon, who no one really cares about, and some reason he's in this game. So <laughs> needed four, and needed four. Yeah, you, you needed a four. It's it's kind of like Gilligan's Island, where they go and the rest. Well, this is and the rest. Rest in peace, uh, Mirian. They're all battling for dominance in Japan, and really, what sets it apart out because this is a Funko game. You are going to get really fantastic miniatures. Now, these are not Funko miniatures as far as being like the big bobblehead kind of people. Although I do kind of regret that. I almost wish it was a little more cartoony. I really have to kind of give you the idea here is that this is kind of like taken from the original kind of like pulpy, comic book-y, like hardcore Tokyo depiction of Godzilla. Because Godzilla has been around for a very long time. There's been a lot of versions of Godzilla This is the monster version, not the friendly version so much, kind of the heroic version. There's been multiple Godzillas out there. So basically, you and your players at the table. This is a competitive game, of course. So you pick one of the Kaiju, and there's four in the game. And your job, of course, is to, of course, score the most points possible. This is where Prosper Hall really does a great job of not going down those kind of lousy IP sellouts. So this is a victory point game. You do have asymmetrical kind of powers and you do have a really cool, not necessarily a deck building because you do just have that one kind of deck, but the deck has asymmetrical different kind of powers. It's not like you hit, one, you hit for one, you hit for one, you hit for one, you dodge for one. Like that's not what this is. This is very kind of like thematic for the particular creatures. Like for example, Mortra. She has a lot of range attacks. She can dodge things. She can move very quickly. Godzilla's the strongest. So again, very thematic for the whole Godzilla genre. Your job, run around, pick up different vehicles that are scattered along the place. And that's determined by whatever kind of scenario cards are in the game. So there might be trains, there might be tanks, there might be planes. Grab those, throw them at buildings in order to destroy these little plastic gray miniature buildings in order to gain more energy to utilize more of your cards in the game. As you utilize the cards, the cards are going to let you do a number of things, but mostly they are there to allow you to attack other players. There's a really cool mechanic called Momentum. So if you have those cards and you're playing them, that means you get to keep playing card after card after card. It's kind of like those, almost like those splash dice in Arcadia Quest, where it's like, oh, I got like this super crit. I got to keep rolling, rolling, rolling. So this one lets you play multiple cards, of course, as long as you have the energy. So your job is to build up as much energy as possible by blowing up the buildings and then going after the other monsters. So you could also, of course, throw monsters at other monsters. You could throw buildings. You could you could do a whole bunch of kind of fun stuff. And that's really what this game is supposed to be. Why this game is something you should be picking up? Well, first off, I think you really got to be a Godzilla fan because it's... Thematically through and through Godzilla. Maybe you just like giant kaiju. Maybe you're all about monsters just stamping through a big city and you don't care about the theme so much. That's fine. It do, it's not needed to play this game. It is a relatively inexpensive game. It's recent recently have gone on, I think almost 40% or more on sale. I picked this copy up relatively cheap. I think it was like $19 or something. I, I was always gonna pick it up, but it was nice that it was on sale and I was able to add it to my collection. So For Godzilla, Tokyo Clash, I'm going to give it a play. It doesn't have enough to recommend as a full buy because I think for people out there that if you are a hardcore Godzilla fan like I am, then it raises it to a buy. But I think for everybody else, it's a good production, it's a solid game, and it's a relatively cheap price for what you're getting. So yeah, Godzilla, Tokyo Clash, It's a play for everybody and a buy if you're a Godzilla fan. But one caveat, play at the maximum player count because if you don't play four players, it gets kind of boring very quickly at the two player count.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I have this somewhere in my closet. I never had a chance to play it. I picked it up over the summer from Target and it just didn't hit the table. I thought the kids would like it, but they were not interested. I guess you do have to be a Godzilla (laughs) fan. They're like, what is this? And I'm like, it's a giant monster. They're like, from what? What show is that from? I'm like... It's from Godzilla. <laughs> See, this reminds me of like Prosper
1: Hall's other games with their Funkos. And we talked about like their slash and hack kind of thing. They, You could have easily swapped in and out anything into this and that would have just been just as good. Like you could have a giant golden girl or a giant Harry Potter kind of destroying Tokyo. It doesn't make a difference, but it's a lot of fun. And again, for the price and for the quality of the actual game, not just the components, but the actual game, They did a fantastic job here. So again, check it out. Even if you're not a Godzilla fan, I think you'll enjoy it at the four-player count because that's what it's meant to be played at. All right, so that's the games that are hitting our table and destroying them (laughs) with their atomic breath. Let's talk about our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the top 10, the dice game. So that's a little caveat as far as we're concerned. There are an endless number of games with dice. And there are a number of games that are just dice games. These are the top 10 games that are either directly dice, dice see another word here, or mm-hmm. they are just like the dice game. You know, it's, it's, it's they are a dice version, dice kind of combination of, of a, another game or a similar game, in fact. So we got the 10 best that we want you to roll along with us for this, this review. And I think that, uh, Crits all around, my friends. So, uh,
0: with that uh, pun-filled opening, you like these games. You're a dice guy, right? I love these games. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. Game. This is a lot of fun for me. It's it's not all roll and rights either. Like no. if you're all, like worried, like oh no, all the roll and right versions. There's a couple on the list, but uh, <laughs> probably on my side of the list. Yes, but <laughs> these are just like they took an existing game and they said let's make this game, but with dice instead of whatever it's already doing. And that's what these are. So. That's fun. Some of them already had dice in the original, but you'll see why they're different here. But yeah, these are a lot of fun for me. They're usually quicker. They're usually more a little more random. Uh I don't love randomness in games, but I like the variability it brings to the game. Uh and almost all of these can be played solo because that's generally what happens to a dice game. <laughs> so they all I think I own almost all of these for that reason. Ooh. So let's all head to Anthony's house from some dice yeah. rolling, my friend. <laughs> All right. So I guess I'll kick it off here with number 10 My, on the our list. We'll take turns here. King Domino Duel. So Ooh. This, this is a roll and write. I know I said there weren't that many, but here we go. Um oh, no. <laughs> uh, this is a two-player only uh, version of King Domino as a roll and write, which is interesting. Like, if you play it, you can understand why it has to be two players. But it is an interesting decision from a design perspective to make a roll and write version that only plays two. It doesn't play one, doesn't play four. That's not what typical roll and rights do, but that's what they did. In the game though, you're going to roll dice and you're going to pick two of them and that makes your domino. And then you're going to draw those in on your board. Um, they're the little shields you see there in the picture. And the different types of shields correspond to different suits. And that's how you're going to score your points and get your different bonuses. I played with my kids. My son was not unimpressed, but not horribly impressed. My daughter likes it a lot more um i think the shields are a little too abstract compared to like all the different artwork and stuff on king domino i think he thought this would be more like that and he loved king domino so i don't know how great it is for children but it might be good for couples i have not actually played this with my wife but uh it seems more in line for like adults (laughs) to play in pairs Um, but it's good i really like it all
1: right our number nine game is bang the dice game Now, Bang has been out for quite some time. It's one of those games that's all about, I guess, deductions, about secret hidden roles. You don't know who the sheriff is, who the deputies is. You don't know who the bad guys are in this game. So basically what you're doing is trying to figure that out and depending on what role, accomplish your mission. Now, that was kind of fun, but to be honest, when you play the cards, it's a little cumbersome, it's a little broad, it's a little obtuse. It's like, oh, I kind of check you, or maybe I put a, you know, a dynamite here, and just, it it becomes more than really what it needs, which is a fast-playing, really cool, interesting, dynamic dice game. So Bang! The Dice Game is For me, the better version of Bang. You get more interesting characters that you get to play as. Plus, of course, just like with Bang, the card game, you get the sheriffs, the outlaws, and the renegades. So everyone has a secret role. Everyone's trying to accomplish their goals and trying to figure things out. But you have your asymmetrical power and you have really sweet dice in this game. This is one of those games where it shows off the dice in like a little window because the dice are so high quality. So basically you're rolling dice you're seeing the consequences of it deciding who to shoot who to heal uh where to throw dynamite throughout the game and it's just a smaller better quicker version of bang bang the dice game the bigger better you know root meat tootness game out there
0: of the dice game <laughs> all right number eight is the castles of burgundy the dice game Ooh. two for two on the and rights yeah <laughs> no <laughs> Uh, so this one came out the year after the card game and so at first it was a little bit of a letdown for me because the card game was brilliant right it was just like let's do everything about castles of burgundy but better in a smaller package right the dice game is a roll and write so naturally it's not going to be as good as either of those games but as a roll and write it is a very solid implementation and it does a lot of fun things that very effectively call back to the original game Um, There are five dice that are rolled. There's a timer die, which determines basically how long the game is going to go, because based on what comes up on the timer die, you're going to mark off different spaces on your sheet, and then two number dice and two color dice. And you're going to pick one number die and one color die, and then that's what you're going to write onto your personal sheet, right? There are bonuses you're going to get based on the types of locations, similar to the Castles of Burgundy. There are different sheets. They're not all the same. So similar to the Castles of Burgundy, you might have a different board than someone else. This game plays very well solo which is a big plus for me. I've played through probably half the sheets at this point um, on my own. And just in general, it's a fun paper and pencil version of one of my favorite tabletop games. And uh, it's maybe not the best roll and write game in the world, but it's up there. It might make my top 10 of that list as well. So that's the Castles of Burgundy, the dice game. Very nice. All right, number eight here is
1: Istanbul, the dice game. Now, Istanbul is one of my favorite games and has a number of great expansions out there just to really make what is a relatively simple game, super complex with a lot of different kind of add-ons and little miniatures that really bring so much greatness into the game. But if you ever played Istanbul, it's all about the rubies. And it's just really a race to get as many of those rubies as possible throughout the game. So you kind of like build and you strategize and you really are really intent on taking these really intricate actions that you can plan five or ten moves ahead and then realize someone's already got to the spot and it's too late at this point. Well, not to fear, Istanbul the Dice Game figures all of that out for you because it really distills down the greatness of Istanbul, which is, of course, again, collecting all those rubies. And here you are loading up on rubies. And again, you have these wonderfully colorful dice that are going to allow you, based upon your rolls, and and you know, typically for a dice game, you can you're concerned with, is it going to be too random? Am I is the chance not going to work to my benefit? But no matter what you roll, there is a good outcome. You will get the resources you need to do something, and to be able to stock up on all those rubies. So what is generally a big kind of game where it's all about collecting the rubies is kind of synthesized down into a really fun dice game it's beautiful it's quicker to play and it's just really a lot of fun that's istanbul the dice game
0: all right uh number six is nations the dice game um, Ooh. this is a dice game it's not a and right i promise this is a dice game based on one of my favorite games of all time nations so when they first announced this i was over the moon excited and i knew it wouldn't be the same as nations because you can't replicate what that game does with dice but it does a pretty good job of trying um you are going to play through four rounds representing the four different ages in the nations style of game and you're just going to go round and round each round until everybody passes so yes you just keep going until you can't take any more actions you can buy new tiles um and these can come with new dice that you can then be able to roll. You can build a wonder, which is, of course, what you always want to do in these games. Uh, or you can reroll some or all of your dice uh, using special abilities or whatever to try to effectively take those other actions right more efficiently. Right? There is a war and famine at the end of every round, so you have to keep that in mind. Make sure that you have the resources you need. Make sure you have whatever power you need so you don't lose in the war it does a good job of taking all that stuff from the civilization genre and specifically nations and making a dice game out of it, which is impressive in its own right. Cause most dice games are a little bit lighter and this is lighter. It's still like an hour or so to play. It's not crazy long, but it feels like a whole game. So that is nations, the dice game.
1: Next up is not a, the dice game game, but nonetheless is one of the dice games that has, Survive for quite some time. This is Las Vegas. A lot of games out there kind of mimic the idea of playing high-stake games. Here in mm-hmm. Las Vegas, you're rolling dice, and then obviously based upon your rolls, whatever things match up, you have to play towards a certain casino. So everyone is kind of trying to almost outbid, but the luck, or lady luck as it would be, is either on your side or not on your side. So are you going to go all in for a certain casino and try to win what money is available there or split it up and hopefully that you'll be able to pull things back together. As I said, this game has had multiple versions, nice quality boxes, but basically when it comes down to is there's six little boards, a bunch of different dice and money that piles up throughout the game and all together you have a fun, fun time. That's Las
0: Vegas. All right. Uh, Number four is Discoveries, Journals of Lewis and Clark. This is the dice game version of uh, The Expedition, Lewis and Clark. And whereas that game was, it has a full board mechanism, and then it's a lot of card drawing and and building your hand and deck like that. This is a dice game where you have your own dice as well as some neutral dice, and they represent different icons or you'll take specific actions on your player board. What makes this game unique, though, and it's kind of cool, is the push-your-luck element of it. So you will collect dice from the central board, and they might include dice from other players. But at any time, any player can spend their action for the turn to take back all their colored dice. So if you have someone else's die sitting on an action waiting to be finalized, because you can leave dice out so that you can slowly over time take that action... They might snag it away from you. So you got to be careful with that. That's a lot of fun. Um, the actions that you're going to take are ultimately in service of completing these different expedition cards. And you're going to have to get different icons like mountains and um, getting over the plains and the the water passage, the canoes. And the more cards you collect, the more points you get. That That part of it's fairly simple. But mm-hmm. the actual dice mechanism of it is very creative. It's very clever. I like this game a lot. I've played it significantly more than Lewis and Clark, even though I really do love that game quite a bit. And it's just one of those games, once I had it, I was like, "Where? why is nobody playing this? This is a, such a cool idea. So that is number four, Discoveries, Journals of Lewis and Clark. All right. Our
1: number three is Roll Through the Ages, the Bronze Age, or I guess you could also throw the Iron Age in here as well. Roll, the age, Roll Through the Ages by Matt Leacock. Really, again, this whole list is about boiling down the wonderment that these games bring to the table in a quick, fast way, small table footprint, and hopefully a better version of the bigger games. So basically here, this was supposed to be a pub game. It comes with these nice, yeah. big, chunky wood boards and these really cool pegs. Now, I've never played this in a pub, but I really want to because right? I, think I, I think I would get some pub cred. You know, I'd be like, "Oh man, what has he got?" He's like, "Oh, that's rolled through the ages." So, people play darts. I'm playing pub games out here, and this is like one of those kind of indestructible games. Of course, the pegs could get lost, but nonetheless, so you're rolling these dice and you're building up your civilization. And the big boards here, they are there to actually just hold all your resources throughout the game. Obviously, throughout the game, you are dealing with you know multiple different crises. And you're also dealing with a roll-and-write situation, which for me was the first roll-and-write kind of game that I remember seeing back in the day. And it was fun because it was just like, hey, look at my board. It wasn't just like this blank piece of paper with a couple of dice. I had my chunky board. I had my wood dice. Like wood dice was really rare. And I'm going to press my luck. And again, sometimes when you press your luck, bad stuff for you, but you press a little more, bad stuff for everyone else but you. So through the ages, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, really fantastic games, especially if you're looking for a civilization game to get to the table at the pub.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Number two on the list is Fleet the Dice Game. So uh, I guess I I was way off on my roll and write estimation because three of the five I'm talking about are rolling rights. (laughs) Uh, But this one is probably one of the best roll and rights out there period this takes a uh, fleet which was a card-based game that came out a few years ago and reimagines it as a roll and write dice game but it's chunkier than your typical roll and write it takes you know 45 minutes a little bit longer uh and it has multiple rounds multiple structures you have two sheets of paper each round there are 10 of them in the game you're going to do a, a boat round or a boat phase i guess uh you roll Dice, people draft them, and you get to mark off a boat, and you can get your different licenses, and you can try to fish for those particular type of fish. And then there's a town phase where you can take any number of specific types of actions. You can upgrade your boats that are available, you know, take other actions, sell your things and market, whatever they are. All these things mechanically are interwoven, similar to like a full-blown board game. So it actually feels like you're playing a Euro game, but it's a roll and right and it's dice-based. So you got that randomness in there. I love that. It's a lot of fun. Um, it captures all the things I like about and rights and dice games in general, and just gives a little more meat on the bone that you don't typically get in games like this. So I've had more luck getting into the table with people who are not generally dice people. And it's got a really good solo version in there as well. Um, just overall in general, if you're looking for, you know, a solid dice game that offers you lots of options and you don't mind rolling right fleet, the dice game, uh, you couldn't do much better than that. All right. And now for our number one, Roll for the Galaxy.
1: Utilize your dice populace to develop technology, settle worlds, and ship fantastic goods. So we probably have to mention this. I mean, obviously, we just mentioned uh, Thomas Lehman. And the idea here is all about taking Race for the Galaxies, which is one of, if not the best, 4X card games of all times. Hand downs, no discussion about that. But if you're going to have uh, the dice game and you're going to distill the fantastic features and abilities of the previous game, then you can't really do any better than Roll for the Galaxy. In particular, Roll for the Galaxy does something unique as it utilizes all the great things about race, but switches up the production and ship, which for me does something really outstanding because again, before you had to like ship and then you, you build up again and it just added length to the game and just made the game a little too obtuse for me. But beyond that, you have dice rolling that is going to determine the actions that you can take, how much of the actions you can take throughout the game. And then of course, everything else fairly standard beyond that plays very much like race for the galaxy. So You're choosing your actions, you're having your opponents choose actions, which you may be able to piggyback upon, and then, because this is the dice game, you're also not just utilizing like all the kind of popular mechanics, but really super cool dice. Colorful, brilliant, bright dice that come into play. You get that rattle around the cup and see what you're able to pull off. Really great, chunky tiles that come into the game. There's been multiple expansions. I do recommend the first expansion. I think that really adds a lot to the game but if you are looking for games that are all the dice game versions of great games are out there you could do no better than our number one pick roll for the galaxy all right anthony so that is everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all a seat at the table take care everybody stay safe